Well, we had a little false start there. That's fine. That'd be just like our show. All right, here we go. All right, golf nerds, welcome back to another episode of Swing Thoughts. I'm golf spiritual leader, Humble Howard from the Humble and Fred Show. Coach Tim, golf expert, uh, mental performance guru, coach of the Guelph Griffin uh, golf team. Good to be with you, sir. Always a pleasure to, you know, commune on a golf. Uh, what's that? Commiserate <laughs> golf wise. To uh, to be with you, uh, Tim, is to uh, is to know greatness. Is to be in the spirit of uh, wonder. You <laughs> <laughs> laid it on thick this morning. Pal. I just I don't even I don't ha- I, I'm not working off a script, Tim. This is coming out of my brain. Oh, everybody is excited. It's the uh, post masters show. We're going to talk all about uh, the amazing play of. Uh, a couple of golfers, one Hideki, of course, and the other kid that uh, Tim and I sort of have a a weird, circuitous connection to Will Zalatoris, and we'll explain why this program, of course, brought to you by TaylorMade Golf. Have you got? Uh, have you got? Have you been swinging your TaylorMade clubs? I have, I have, but th- that's it's last year's clubs, which is fine. They are yeah, amazing man. clubs, but I am eagerly awaiting the arrival of my new uh, Sim Two Driver uh, four wood, actually, and wedges. So, well, I- I'm sorry, I'm hesitating here because I-, I um I got my driver, <clears throat> I haven't hit it yet. But I have hit the three wood and the uh, hybrid, and it's it's very very good. I don't know how they're doing it, but uh, <laughs> but it's good. Are you having the same problem as you did last year? Is that this three wood goes too gosh darn far? No, you know what it is. It's not the three wood that's surprising anymore. Although it goes a long way, it's that little hybrid. I don't know what's in there, but it. Uh, <laughs> I've had a couple of shots already this year that I'm like. That was pretty good. Like, like the Keebler elves? Just like, <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's what I was thinking. Um, let me just make sure I got this. Oh, here we go. God, I had it. You know what? It's funny with the Zoom and all these meetings and people listening can relate. You know, they got multiple screens and I was, you know, trying to find the the tailor-made Canada reads. Uh, by the way, of course, uh, the apparel on this program from JW Apparel, Inc. Go check out some of the brands that JW is uh, repping and soon will be uh, representing Tim. Festooned in. Yama. Looking... That we have sartorial splendor going for us. See, there you go. Sim 2 irons, uh, tailor-made, of course, The uh, all the new Sim uh, line of clubs. But I just, just want to mention the Sim 2's unique cap-back design will give you more forgiveness and more distance. More often, experience the all-new Sim 2 irons from TaylorMade. As always, visit TaylorMadeGolf.ca to learn more. And hopefully, you're listening to this uh, podcast to learn more. Today, another unique uh, sort of take on uh, golf and and presence and being mindful. Today, we're going to have uh, a chat with a a human, a young human. Because, of course, we're so woke on the show, we don't see gender. We just see humans. 
Um, she's a singing, she's a singer songwriter and a voice teacher in Guelph. Her name is Laura Bailey, but Tim, she's your singing teacher. She's my coach. Yeah, She's your singing absolutely. coach. What yeah. does here and that of course everyone's gonna be like, what does singing have to do with me breaking 80? <laughs> Lots. And you'll find out. So uh, just a little story here. So um like a lot of adults, I was in fact afraid of singing in public. Great in the car with the windows up, but not so anyone could actually hear me. And the weird part was too is that um I play in a band. And so I just felt, you know, I need to learn this singing thing. I need to get over it. So I thought, let's take singing lessons. It took me a while to kind of get over that resistance, but I did. And so I started taking lessons with with Laura. And what was really interesting to me is that we would get into conversations about how singing and golf and other things of performance, they were so related in terms of the things that we need to, to, to work on, the fundamentals, uh, being aware of tension, all those types of things. So it was really interesting. Uh, it's really interesting working with Laura about these, these similarities. And I just thought, you know, this would be fun to have Laura on the show and talk about the, um, the connections to uh, performance in golf, singing, and all kinds of things. So, uh, welcome to the show, Laura. Hi, Laura. Thank you so much for having me, Laura. Yeah, so, I, I thought, my Laura, why don't you just give us a, a, a brief kind of view on how you, you know, where you're at in terms of your singing and songwriting, but and and how you got into coaching. Sure. Um, well, where am I at in terms of singing and songwriting? Um, I just finished my uh, ARCT diploma with the Royal Conservatory of Music. So I'm a classically trained singer. Um, I uh, wrote and uh, performed in a musical and produced a musical called Clitoria, a sex positive superhero at the 2019 Toronto Fringe Festival. Um, and in terms of when I started coaching, I've been coaching for about seven years now. I started just coaching out of my apartment when I lived in Toronto and I've been doing it ever since and made a full-time career out of it and sort of never looked back. So I really like that it affords me the opportunities and the time to still do my, my songwriting and creative projects, things like that. Yeah. You know, when Laura, when, when Tim first told me that he suggested we get you on the show, I totally was into it because I think there's a lot around how people hold tension in their body that prevents them from opening up vocally, but also opening up, you know, just sort of existentially. What are some of the things, not maybe with Timmy specific, what are some of the things that holds people back or hold people back when it comes to sort of letting themselves express, express themselves vocally? That's a really great question. I thought um, so. I really did. I really thought that this is going <laughs> to really he, I really, he no, I really, is I, the I, best. I really, he, I really thought halfway through the question. I hope Laura thinks this is a good question. <laughs> great question. Thank when you, I Laura. Say that's a great question. I mean, oh, my God, what a question. Um, so what are some of the things that hold people back? Well, um, Ultimately, I am of the school of thought that um, whatever is happening physically in the body is a symptom of something that deeper that's going on. Um, and it could be a sign of something uh, 
psychologically that's going on. So for example, um, I work with a lot of women, right? And the first time when I start getting them to do the technique, it's really uncomfortable for them because they start to experience themselves as loud for the first time. And they're not used to hearing their voices as loud. And there are some men also who experience this. Um, <laughs> Tim is raising his hand. Who experience this sort of like cognitive dissonance as well. Yeah, I know what like, you oh mean. I know what you mean, Laura, because I am i don't often hear my voice loudly. So, uh, yeah. Actually, let me do my impression of my girlfriend, my children, and anyone who's ever known me. Just, just keep it, keep it down. Just, <laughs> you're just loud. Just keep, keep it down. And I'm like, what? <laughs> anyway, so at first people find it uncomfortable to hear their voice. Yes. Yeah, I think at first people, uh, it's interesting because sometimes, and there are men in both camps. I think there are men who are uh, startled by the sound of their own voice. And there are men who are um, have absolutely no problem uh, expressing themselves boldly and badly right off the top. Um, so there's really a mixed bag with men. Um, but I find as particularly with women that there is like a, uh, this sort of moment that's like, oh my God, I didn't realize I was holding back this much for this long. And I didn't realize how uncomfortable it is to be this loud, um, right now. And, uh, and I think that, um, there are many ways that that can manifest in terms of physical posture. Um, so, part of being quiet or being or holding back is maybe like hunching forward, um, not breathing deeply enough, being sort of like misaligned in the body or having like little, um, you know, uh, nervous like tremors and things like that in your fingers, twiddling your fingers and stuff. All of this is sort of like a physical manifestation of a of what's really going on, which is uh, trying to sort of hold yourself in in some way. I think what you're talking about in many ways, Laura, is about uh, freedom mm -hmm. and how in a lot of people, and this was our experience together as coach and student, that, that I had a hard time letting stuff go. I know that when I'm in my house practicing, if there's anyone else in the house, my volume is way lower. Yep. And when there's no one here, then I can let her, let her rip. But Howard, let me throw it to you. Uh, as someone who's been a broadcaster for, gosh, four decades, stand-up comic, all this stuff, this loud person. Very, very long about. time. There you go. How do you think what Laura's talking about in terms of that perhaps inhibition, how does that reflect itself in, in tension and golf players maybe not allowing themselves to be to let themselves go and swing fully and, and with some degree of freedom. Well, I think um, what Laura's talking about in terms of how, and it's interesting that you started with how, how women release their voices and how it can startle them because, you know, they, they sometimes hold themselves in. Uh, again, to the surprise of no one, one of my daughters is a singer and I've been around singing teachers and, and I'll tell you later about, because uh, I also have a vocal coach. You probably didn't know that, Tim, but I've had one for a long time. Because, well, because talking for a living, you know, oftentimes your throat gets dry and sore. And, and I, I've been going to this guy, Aaron Lowe, for a long time. Do you know Aaron? I do. Yeah. He's pretty, I mean, I don't know him personally, but he's pretty famous in the vocal world. He's a 
an SLP, I think. Yeah, but he, he, so I'll get to that. I'll just let me put the golf aside. So what what Aaron does for people like me and and singers and performers is he releases the muscle tension in your voice box. And a couple times, uh, Laura, I've had him come watch me do the show because he wanted to see, to your point, what's my posture like during the show? Am I slumped over? Am I sitting up? Is my mouth open? All those things. And, and then for a while there, I was having some real trouble and I would go and he would release, he do, does these exercises mm -hmm. to release the tension here. Because Tim, to your point, whether it's in golf or in performance, we're holding a lot of tension up here. We don't even know it. And Laura, I bet you've had this experience, maybe with Tim or others, where when you release that tension in this whole area, all of a sudden, there's a different voice that comes out of people. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's it's interesting because it's it's a little bit harder to get that result teaching over Zoom, obviously. Like, I can't be there in person to be like, no, do this. Like, the student sort of has to figure it out on their own um how to how to get that sort of release but yes once you uh i always say to my students it's like you should feel like a metal tank down here and like you're dead to the world from the neck up like you should just be like totally loose up here like if there's one thing you take away from these lessons i want it to be that you all of the work is coming from your abdominal muscles from your pelvic floor you're gonna feel that in your butt like the, the, the muscles that we use to support our voice are the same muscles we use to poop, to vomit, to blow our nose. Those are the muscles that we're using. Sometimes at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the stuff you learn on Swing Thoughts it now, is just... A boundary lot of, expanding. A lot of golfers feel like that on the first tee. Am I going to puke? Am I going <laughs> to shit myself? Good thing I'm wearing my brown pants. That's right. Um, well, but, what greater release could there be? I mean, absolutely. And, and that's what we're talking about. To, to Tim's point about bringing it to golf, Laura. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe it's... So a lot of golfers are holding tension. Mm -hmm. and, and they restrict themselves. And so, Tim, I'll throw it back to you. What have you learned from Laura? Maybe you guys can talk about uh, this that you can see would benefit a golfer. Well, one of the, one of the things that uh, Laura and I were constantly, we're, we're actually, we're on pause here. Our, our lessons are on pause. That's why I'm going from, from past tense to present tense. But um, one of the things that I was aware of is that when I was singing, there was times in which I just couldn't really deliver in a relaxed way. The same thing happens to me in golf all the time. Just like this inability to just kind of let this go. And yeah, it's, uh, you know, deep psychological issues. I'm half kidding because there is stuff at work. You know, I've said it before to other people that, you know, I grew up in a chaotic household with a father who didn't do chaos well. So for me, it was really important to just keep it down, be safe. So that's a piece that I've had to work with through my life. But the core thing that Laura and I have worked through is, is that body awareness, particularly through breathing. And, and uh, one of the things that we do <laughs> before at the start of every lesson, and we've done 20 of them, is breathe, various things. And, and through doing that, I've started to find myself more relaxed when I sing. I'm still waiting to see how it turns out in 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 golf because it's early in the season but laura why don't you speak to the importance of breath 
in terms of dealing with tension. Just, just before you do, Laura, <clears throat> let me just jump in, Tim, and say, you know, we've talked about breath as it relates to meditation, as it relates to, mm-hmm. um, you know, just being more centered on the golf course. But I think there's a, a huge... Um, uh, connection to that because a lot of golfers find themselves as chaos reigns not breathing you know not totally. getting oxygen to your brain not being relaxed in your body not being able to execute the the um uh, task and that would all be I, i'm i'm sure very similar to a singer that's tense uh, about a performance not being able to access their instrument Absolutely. I always say garbage in, garbage out. Like if you don't take a nice, full, deep singer's breath, if you don't get the diaphragm down, uh, the chances of you being able to execute that note or that phrase properly are very slim. Um, Your singing is your breath, right? And very literally. Um, So the, the quality of the type of breath you take in is really important. If, for example, it's really important that the breath you take in is silent, not but because then your laryngeal muscles are relaxed, right? And you yes. can actually take that breath in. And I would assume that that is the same for, um, for golf because um, taking those relaxed, silent breaths is part of what calms the central nervous system. Um, your breath is very much related to your stress hormones, your central nervous system, and all of those things that would apply to any kind of performance, whether it's in singing or, or in a sport. Yeah, I'll give you a perfect example of that. So um, when I was working with Laura, trying particularly trying to hit higher notes, I would have this anxiousness. And what would typically happen was I would be focused on hitting this higher note. It's like wanting to get the result. It's like wanting a four-foot putt to go in. So I wouldn't breathe. I would just kind of have this shallow chest breath and Laura would catch it every time. And so I had to consciously work on before, particularly working on those higher notes, is to do a full belly breath. I'm still working on that because, you know, I'm in my seventh decade. Yes, that old folks. Um, of breathing a certain way and reacting to stress and anticipatory stress in a certain way. So I have to work at getting my reps in. So it's possible, but it takes work. And that's the thing what makes this game challenging is that we've got all these habitual patterns and to make the changes we want to make uh, needs we need to get our reps in at these fundamental things like breathing. And you know, it's funny, Tim, because a lot of golfers listening to our show, I think a lot of times when we set the table, so to speak, about the topic we're going to attack that day, I think a lot of times, you know, I, I know if I were listening, I'll be like, okay, get to the part where I shave three strokes off my uh, round. Okay, what is this? Tell me what I should do. swing better. Yeah, no, what do I do now? Do I do something with this woman and does she make me a better player? Well, if there's, there's one thing, if I could share something about you, Tim, um, from our lessons, uh, and this is something that I see a lot in, in students and in singing students, which I think probably applies a lot to golfers as well. Um, it's the, the sort of banging your head against the wall approach to repetitions, um, which is like, oh, I didn't get it right. I'll do it again. I'll do it again. I'll do it again. I'll do it again. Without taking that breath to reset and be like, okay, 
what is it that I'm going for in this next rep? Having a breath, a moment, a pause to reset and be intentional about how you're going to do this next. Absolutely. Because they say, you know, practice makes permanent. Um, if you keep doing it wrong over and over and over again, that's what your body is going to learn how to do. You know, so you watched me do that, though. I would like I would have this moment of frustration. I go, OK, OK, I'll get it this time. Yeah. And mm -hmm. go right into it and go right into it and not pause. But what Tim was talking about in terms of getting golfers getting reps in, singers getting reps in. But it's the the getting the reps in of taking cleansing breaths like you know the the difference between practice and the game whether that game is singing or or golf the the difference is if you've repped enough of those like like in my pre-shot routine for years i take this big breath and not a wheezy breath but a really as deep a breath as i can especially in high you know in in high stakes situations i i automatically take that breath because i do it all the time i've made it part of the the preparation the same way that you would do you know any practice do you know what i'm saying timmy so that the idea is learn to breathe while you're practicing and learn that that Part of your routine is to take a breath where you get a chance to kind of get your parasympathetic nervous system to calm down a bit. And oh, I think absolutely. and what I love about what you said there, Laura, about golfers are just so classically banging our heads like keep like if it's not working, I'll just try harder um, when sometimes calming yourself in between the repetitions is a you know, more of a, a better recipe for longer term success. Yeah. Another really uh, tried and true practice technique for singers and for musicians in general is um, to practice. Like, let's say you've got a three songs that you're practicing. Try, you know, practicing song A. And then if you mess that up, then go to song C. And if you mess that up, go to song B and then go back to A instead of doing A over and over and over and over again, because you need that reset. And also when it comes to performance, what actually matters is the first time you did it, right? Like when you're actually going to perform a song, you don't get three tries. You, you get that first try. So it's actually uh, it's actually about how you did on the first try. Mm -hmm. um, and if you didn't get it, then yes, you can repeat it a little bit. But if you're starting to bang your head against the wall, then go to something else and come back to it. And miraculously, at some point you will come back to it and it will be perfect and you will not understand why that happened. And that's one of the magic. That's great. I practice. love that. <laughs> Well, what I love about that is is that in golf, we talk about um, how can we transition from, say, practice to the actual course. And golfers really struggle with that because in they're habituated to, you know, hitting one shot and then it doesn't go off, right? So they rake another one off until they hit it until they thought it was right. It's exactly what you're talking about, trying to do it over and over again. Almost randomly, randomization of it, yeah. Yeah, but what you're talking about is putting yourself in a performance context so that you're you're in this space and you're getting used to doing things so as if you are performing rather than being in this practice place that's the way we sort of shorten the walk from say the the practice room to the to the stage shorten the walk from the practice range to the golf course um that's that's really cool so laura i have to ask um what are the and Tim don't Tim's not told me anything. What are the songs? What are the kind of songs that the Tim O'Connor 
is working on with you because I I have a I'm thinking is he does he come to your place and he pretends he's the phantom is he is he a, not a young is he doing a something a young ingenue is he a Caiaphas from Jesus Christ Superstar who is he He's definitely like a salt and pepper Johnny Rotten. Oh, it's, that's it. Uh, I'm going to write that down. There you and go. Hopefully 90 pounds lighter. There you go. A salt and pepper Johnny Rotten. Wow. Well, I can't wait to uh, have. Uh, would you would you favor us with a little, uh, you know, a little something there, Tim? Oh, you mean you want to <laughs> just, just look on your face like horrified. You know, I, I have, you know what's funny, Laura. I have people on this show all the time on this other show that I do, and uh, I've seen that look where I say, well, "Go ahead, just, just sing a little tune for us." They're like, "What?" <laughs> what the f- no, I thought it was going to be me. <laughs> what are you I was talking totally about? It was Tim. You were talking. Oh no, I wouldn't, about. Laura. I, I know better than to put you on the spot. Ooh. I want to put Johnny uh, Guelph's Johnny Rotten on the spot. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, the only man. song that I could really do is, is uh, Four Strong Winds." No, it's um, all right. But if you want, give us a little bit, get, just belt out uh, of just a little bit of uh, force. Now here's Tim O'Connor with four strong winds. Uh, let's see. Okay, four strong, uh, four strong winds will blow lonely. Seven seas will run high. All those things that don't change, come what may. Beautiful. Well, I was, I was just, I'm going to Alberta. I got no problem. I squeaked anything <laughs> you out. You did it great. I have no problem. People could ask me to say on the middle of a restaurant, I wouldn't care. I'll tell you what is funny about you talking about tension, because I also do stand-up, and I have for years. And I will tell you that there's a real, I don't know about you, Laura, but I have a real sense. If I'm walking on stage, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited and I'm nervous, but I can tell in the first 60 to 90 seconds where I'm at by how much tension I feel in my body. I've said this to you before, Tim. Sometimes I'm up there and I'm like, I'm not really here. Like I'm in my head. And it takes me a few breaths. And that's what I always do. I always kind of pause for a second and just calm down. And then all of a sudden I'm in the room. Because if I'm going too quickly, I'm also forgetting to breathe. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, it's interesting. So I met Tim through a mutual friend, Haley Kellett, who runs the Making Box. And I know uh, Haley because we both did improv comedy in Toronto for like 10 years together. Um, So I know that feeling. And certainly in improv, when you have no plan, you get on stage and you're just like, ah! (laughs) You're just being completely run by adrenaline. Oh, yeah. Adrenaline and fear. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, was that funny? See, this is about golf. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you, by yeah, the way, before um, I forget, do you know uh, do you know Amanda Barker? Uh, she's a second. She's a, she so was familiar. she was a producer for us for a long time. Second City. Uh, anyway, um, but Laura, mm-hmm. you're a very nice person. Thank you. So thank, are you? Thank you for doing this for us this morning. Well, this is a that's my wrapping up voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yes, I can tell you've had a vocal coach. It sounds very nice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'll tell you, though, like every day, you know, I still do some warm ups and I still can tell, you know, just like you, I can tell when it's going to be a good day. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had enough rest. 
you can just feel it. And I have yeah. some days, I'm, honestly, I have a lot of days. I've been doing this for a long time. I have a lot of days where I'm like, mm, it's a bit squeaky, like I'm a bit tense. Right. You know, you slept differently. And I, and I get up early and do it every day early, so. Yeah, what time do you get up? Not bad. Like, for years when we did the Humble and Fred show on terrestrial radio, I was getting up at 3.30 in the morning. Oof. But now closer, between 4.30 and 5, 5.30 some days. Okay. Okay. I think we learned a lot, Tim. I think Laura did, came yeah. in here. And we and need to learn one more thing. Laura, where uh, do people find yes. you online? What are the places they go to find you? Um, you can check out my website, laurabaileymusic.com. Mm -hmm. um, you can also find me on Instagram, Laura Bailey Music. And I have a Facebook page, Laura Bailey Music. Um, I don't know when this is coming out. It's coming. It'll be out. This will be out uh, in the next 24 hours. Oh, okay. I have a student show coming up on April 24th, so you can hear my students. Um, but that information will be posted really soon. So, yeah. Well, thanks for fun. doing this for us, Laura. It was very, very right. nice to have met you. And you've done thanks, well Laura. with our... With our boy Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. Well, I'm glad. Yes. Slide yourself out of the room. Uh, end meeting for Laura. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Take care. Now I hadn't planned to put you on the spot, but I thought, why not? Yeah, exactly. I knew you would too. Did you? <laughs> oh yeah. So I'm walking down. In all seriousness, I'm walking down the fourth, fourteenth fairway at Blue Springs last night. Four strong winds. Oh, you got a song. Seven seas will run high. That's awesome. Well, uh, full disclosure, uh, I was in the shower this morning, and I was thinking, well, if she asked me to sing, which one of my many numbers shall I favor her with? <laughs> <laughs> show is brought to you by TaylorMade. As I mentioned, the uh, I, I've hit two hybrids, the new Sim 2 hybrids. I've hit two of them, including the other day. It's not that it just went far. It just has this kind of it's just I don't even I, I don't want to get too technical, but there's some there's something that makes the ball just jump off the face. I think it's the key burrells. I, really I, I agree. There's something going on in there, but and I'm not saying that the three wood doesn't have it, but the uh, the hybrid I hit the other day, I hit two of them now, in this sort of 225 range. Um, that where they were, it was like when you hit it, you know, I kind of feel like, oh, that's it. There's golf, because <laughs> there's golf. Oh yeah, man, I played around of golf the other day. Honestly, Tim, I was uh, the first six holes, six holes into the round, I had. I, uh, the sixth tee shot was the first time I'd hit the face of the club. And the reason I, and I'm not that I was keeping track, but as soon as I did, I went, oh yeah, that's what, <laughs> that's what that feels like. Because I hadn't had it yet. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It was I great. All, I think we're all familiar with not having the feeling. Anyway, TaylorMadeGolf.ca uh, and of course, Jonathan Wong Apparel is the uh, official clothing sponsor of this uh, legendary podcast, Swing Thoughts. So, shall we talk about expectations? Uh, sure. Uh, when did you and I attend the Decade Seminar? Was that 2017 or 18? 
I'm going to go with... I could tell you. I'm going to go with 18. Okay. Doesn't matter. It was a couple years ago, and you and I sat in a room with a bunch of punks. <laughs> we were... We were these two old guys at a seminar that our friend Sean Casey put on for his elite amateurs. And, I, and I've actually run into some guys uh, that I, I played with a kid a couple weeks ago. A kid, he's like six foot four. He was in that room that day. He's like a plus one. And you and I were at a table by ourselves. And I remember looking around like, we're 120 years old. There's not a, you could take literally, there. you could have taken four or five Anybody in that room, four or five of them, they weren't as old. <laughs> they weren't exactly. combined as old as we are. Yeah, I know. We were just that this is cool, but we were. But the thing was, is that we were so excited. Oh we yeah, like we were like little kids, you know, first day of school type of thing. It was great. We took this seminar called Decade, and I bring it up now. And we've probably talked about Scott Fawcett from time to time. Uh, I've been following him on Twitter, uh, interacting a lot recently. And uh, he's the creator of this, uh, I don't know, it's a, not a golf method. It's a, it's a, have we had, we had him on the show, did we not? No, we have not had Scott Fawcett on yet. I'm quite, pretty sure. I mean, this is our 160th show. Yeah. So for old people, it's hard for us to think back through well, that I, many shows. But Dude, I, I can't remember. Had him on. <laughs> I can't remember who we had on this show. <laughs> I don't know. Who, oh, did, oh. did we have a guest? Is this the start of the show? Well, I smell toast. <laughs> anyway, Fawcett's whole thing is about a uh, course management method for elite players. And when Tim and I took the seminar, one of the players that he had talked about working with was a young kid that he, he, he knew his family. And uh, he approached this kid when he was going to play in the U.S. Junior about six or seven years ago. And he said, listen, I'll caddy for you, as the story goes, if you will let me try out this method that I've developed. Scott Fawcett was a aspiring PGA Tour player, like he played at the nationwide tour level, an amazing player. But he was also a math nerd. He's got two or three degrees in three math degrees, three yeah. math degrees in statistic. And basically what he has done is he's taken Mark Brody's work in the world of strokes gained and he's applied it as a method to play golf. Anyway, he says to this kid, I'd like to try this method out on you. And if you will do what I say, I'll caddy for you. Anyway, the long story of this is that kid was Will Zalatoris, and Zalatoris has been using Decade for a long time. And without getting into the minutia of it, I know it's already, you know, I've already been talking too long. But it's okay. It's okay. But going. I'm going to. But the, the idea of course management, and, and that's why I say you want to talk about expectations where to hit it where to miss it so what decade is it basically is a blueprint for on this hole with these hazards and this pin position here's where you should statistically hit it for the best chances for the lowest scores you may comment now and then i will continue Oh, wait. <laughs> uh, you're just doing great. Don't be self-conscious. You're talking a lot because so, you're you're on a great run. Uh, it, you know what? I'll just connect with. Yes, please connect something while I take a sip of coffee and there collect my uh, many thoughts. Well, I was thinking, um, who was it recently that talked about David Duvall going into 
um, Q School or something, uh, and it was Robert Dameron who talked about talking with Duvall and said, what do you do? He says, where do you, what's your course management secret? He says, I aim at the middle of every green. Mm-hmm. And Dameron went, that's not true. You're the guy who shot 59 on the PJ Tour. Where do you, what's your strategy for the greens? I aim at the middle of every green, yeah. which is a very decade thing. It, it is. Uh, and and in part, and I, I told you before the show, I've spent, and, I, and you know, I'm not exaggerating, but close to 10 hours this week on the decade site uh going through the seminar again the one that you and i took going through that one and going through the foundational work because it really is one of these things where if one it faucet's point is if you buy into it that it will absolutely lower your handicap whatever your handicap is now i'm i signed up under the elite but you know i put myself in the handicap one to two but it's got it's got lessons and this is where i want to start the discussion with you it's got such great lessons for all of our handicap golfers listening whether that's a 12 a 15 an 8 because of some statistics this is what i love about it for instance let me ask you a couple questions what do you think is the biggest factor in lowering someone's handicap we'll just take a um, a mid single digit someone that shoots between 75 and 78 i know that's pretty good but if somebody wants to go from a 78 shooter to a 75 shooter of the things like most people think oh i gotta make more birdies so how many how much of that improvement i'm getting to the question do you think those three strokes how much of that improvement do you think has to do with making more birdies what's percentage Uh I think it's has nothing to do with making more birdies. Well, it has some to do, but there's a percentage. I think to it's it. hitting. Um, I'm hoping I'm interpreting your question right. No, you'll, you're a deck. You already get the decade system, so you'll get well, what I'm I think trying it's, to say. I think what you're looking at is you're asking me what are the factors that lead to someone lowering their handicap. The handicap, I would say, hitting fairways off the tee that you can always you always have a, a shot in play. Uh, you have as few penalty strokes as possible. Right. And you hit a shitload of greens. So it's not about fairways. It's about having it's about having a second shot that's not in trouble. So if, let's right. let's imagine. So totally. a fairway is only thirty yards wide, but there's sixty yards between the hazards. Right between if you go on a Google Map, which is another thing I've been doing, you go on any golf course and you can look at your first hole and you can see well, there's fairways only thirty or forty yards wide, but there's seventy yards that you can effectively hit it in. But here's the thing, in most handicap, whether it's an 80 to a 77, 77 to a 75 and lower, 20% of the improvement comes from one more birdie around. One more birdie around. 80% is what you said. Ball in play, less three putts, less penalty shots. Now, we've been saying those things because we got them from the, t- the seminar a few years ago. But seeing it again and, and looking at his statistical analysis, it's, um, it's mind-blowing to me because I'm thinking, oh, if I'm going to get to scratch one day, i got to make five birdies around. You know, how many, you know what the, PG, you know the PGA Tour average? The PGA Tour average birdies per round is under four. It's three point, you know, three, four, five. What you're seeing on the PJ Tour, and you've said this, I've said it, it's a false positive. You're watching the best players on the planet having a good week. That's right. 
but the average of the PGA Tour isn't anywhere near as good as we would think it is. And the problem is, and that's why I wanted to talk about expectations with you, Coach, is because a lot of amateurs' expectations are unreal and they affect us psychologically. They're unreal and they get in our heads because we think we're supposed to hit it closer than we are. Here's another number from 100 yards on the PGA Tour. And I I think we did this one recently, but I've got a couple new ones from 100 yards on the PGA Tour. Their average proximity to the hole is around 20 feet, 20 feet. So when we're 100 yards and we, you know, we sort of maybe block one 35 feet to the right. and We're like, oh, shit. Yeah, exactly. And I'm talking about myself now. It's an un, it's an it's a negative reaction to an unreal expectation at 150 yards on the PGA Tour. The best players on earth, 30 feet, is their average proximity to the hole. Now, of course, we're watching guys on the weekend. That's why we're watching them who are that week having a great week of ball striking, and they're getting a few breaks. And that's another thing he said. Man, winning is about luck. Having a good score is about luck. And all you can do, all you can do is mitigate the mental errors. And and as he said, give the variance a chance to to be there. Not the variance, the virus. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and he's saying that that if you have a good, solid strategy, you're going to get lucky some days. You're not other days. But... If your if your process is a conservative one, knowing that it, if you're 165 today on your par three and you just barely hit the green, good for you. If you're 45 feet away, you're kind of in average territory for your handicap. So that's what I wanted. That, that's my opening uh, salvo about the decade experience. Thank you. You're sounding like Brandel Shambly. All these really interesting numbers. You've done your homework. Well done. Well, like I said, I, I spent I think 10 hours doing this this no, week. You totally geeked out on it. I think that's You know, I could have watched some Netflix, but I decided to do this. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's wonderful stuff. Um, what's really, there's so many things that are interesting in that. But one of the things is, is if you just really kind of dumb it down, what could be a message we take as, you know, mere mortal golfers? is to not be so yeah it, just like what you said don't be expecting any kind of perfection and because golf is just you can hit a really crappy shot and it bounces off a mound rolls it and goes in the hole mm-hmm. you can hit a great putt and it doesn't go in i mean you can hit a lousy putt and it goes in i i remember a couple of years ago it just Seventh green, Blue Springs. And I thought this was a, a, a right to left putt. As soon as it leaves the club face, I'm going, oh, crap. Well, <laughs> it actually went the other way. It went left to right. <laughs> no, I right love those. Hole for a birdie. <laughs> I love those when you, as soon as you hit it, you go, oh, shit, I pulled it. In the hole. I meant that. I meant to do that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, I did that on purpose. But that's what golf's like. Yeah. You know, it's like, uh, what was it? Lee Westwood in Bay Hill. He's he's right there. Hits this great drive. Where's it go? In a divot. Yeah. On the 72nd effing hole. You know what? He's a great player, so divots aren't as big of a challenge as we make them. No, but you make be. a good point that it's such a there's so many random aspects that we don't control. 
Exactly. And, and we, you're so correct about what we see in golf. And so we take this as golf cultures that we're supposed to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, um, but on the PGA Tour with TV, you're watching the guys who are within contention. Corey Connors, he had it going there in the Masters. As soon as he slipped off, you never saw him again. By the way, I, I just want to say that when you watch tour players, and this is, a, I think, because I watched last night for the first time since I had, you know, been taking these seminars every day. And I watched the uh, coverage from where, where they are, the Sea Island or whatever that tournament is. Uh, down the, in the RBC. Uh, Hilton yeah, Hilton Head. Yep. And I watched their shots. I watched Corey Connors last night when I was watching this, and I watched all the Webb Simpson, and these are some of the biggest names in golf. And I watched where they hit their approach shots. And all of a sudden, I was like, Fawcett's right. Their approach shot, I'm talking about um, someone last night, 118, Sergio, 118 to the flag, just hit it a little bit too hard, 35 feet. 118. When I have a 118 shot, I have this weird, and I'm, I'm mad at myself, I have this weird fantasy that I'm supposed to stuff it. No, you're not. How about get it on the green? 118, exactly. Sergio, the Masters champion, Sergio Garcia. Simpson, Connors. Connors, a beautiful ball striker. 20 feet, 30 feet. And every once in a while, they either pull it or push it, and it's, and it's next to the hole. But I can tell you, I watched two hours of golf last night before I fell asleep like an old man. And um, I just... Uh, <laughs> <It's>, and <laughs> when the flies go in and out. <laughs> such a go- I had such a golf nap. I'm like, go- I, didn't, I, didn't, I had to do some work last night, so I just started watching. I had a golf nap like at 9.45 p.m. I was like... <laughs> Anyway, I watched two hours of these guys through a filter of what, what I've you know relearned from this decade yeah. thing. And you see they hit bad shots. Every once in a while, someone hits it close. That's why you see the highlight. What you don't see is the guy that shot 73 and 70 and 74 hitting shots sideways. You know, they, the, the um, Zalatoris, back to him, you know, I've watched some of the, well, what happened this week is Fawcett put out a webinar to those people that follow him on Twitter, which was one of, he said, hey, if you retweet this Brandel Chambly thing, because Chambly made a big thing last week in about decade. Like he went on and on about well, that's it. That's nice. Uh, it, it's, it's a great clip. So Fawcett said, if you retweet this clip, I'll invite you to my webinar. Anyway, so I saw this webinar this week with Fawcett talking about Zalatoris and how the reason Zalatoris was able to perform in those moments is because he and Fawcett have been going over the back nine at Augusta for literally years. What shots to hit, what pins to go after, where to aim. So when he got there on Sunday, he's like, I've kind of been doing this. It's almost like a video game. Sure, you have to be able to execute those shots. Absolutely. But if well, you're... This is, this is great. So, it, um, sorry, did you have another thought? No, no, I'll, to... I'll finish it, but go ahead. So, one of the core things that great players do is they plan the rounds. So, when you get to a tee, you're not going to be in this place of, oh, well, I just did that, so I should do this. No, the plan is I'm going to hit three wood off this tee. And that just calms you down. So, when people, you know, think about Zalatoris, like for a lot of people, even though, you know, that, that U.S. Open finish, uh, was it last year? Tied for six, yeah. You know, Walker Cup. The kid's been around. He's a player. Oh, no, but he's to, a gold chip uh, uh, prospect. 
Exactly. But to, to most people in the golf world, he's kind of like, oh, where'd he come from? Mm-hmm. So, so people are wondering, how, does it, how did he withstand the pressure of the Masters? He was there in the second, third round, fourth round. I would argue that a lot of it was from he knew where he was going to go. And that just diminishes your anxiety. He had a plan for every hole. Exactly. Um, Webb Simpson was being interviewed Monday after the Masters, and another guy that shout out gave a shout out to Fawcett because they asked him about Zalatoris. He said they something. The question was like, "Why are these young guys?" You know, and we think of Webb Simpson as a young guy, but he's been out there for you know almost fifteen years. The question was, "Why are these young guys coming out and being able to compete right away?" And he he said, "Well, they're better prepared." And he said, "And because of things like decade." They already know how to play. They've, they they have a way of playing golf courses, even if they're not familiar with them, because there's a decade system for how to play every hole. So, for instance, I'm going to play a qualifier early in May, if, they, if golf is still allowed, um, at Rosedale. I haven't played Rosedale in a long time. And because of what I've learned this week is I'm going to be able to go on Google Earth and take a scorecard. And because of, you know, knowing what to look for now, plan out, you know, potential shots on every hole that I would hit given the yardage because it's all about it's not again fairways are great but when you look at the like i was looking at this map of the golf course and between the trouble on one side and the trouble on the other side is about 65 or 70 yards like between the trees and the trees so yes we sometimes focus on the fairway and it kind of you know we get a little bit of tension trying to hit a narrow tree line fairway but if you know there's 20 yards on either side you don't have to hit it straight down the middle you know he's a big proponent by the way of only hitting one shot only hitting one way on on drives like on a one-way shot. shot or fade it or but but to stick to level. it yeah. so that on every hole you just know i'm gonna you know if i hit a fade i'm gonna rip it down the left hand side knowing that even if it goes horribly wrong i've got 45 yards to the right from which to play here's a thing he i'm going to tell you two more things on on the pga tour the eight foot average so you're eight feet away you and i are eight feet away we've hit some good you know we've hit a good shot or we've chipped up to eight feet 50 percent is the pga tour average I say these things not because it's so earth shattering, but for the average player, listen, you're going to go out and play today just uh, just for the don't beat yourself up part. Because when I miss an eight foot putt, I want to bang. You know, I used to hit myself with my putter. <laughs> like I, I would. It it, but because I thought, oh, I'm, I'm a good player. I'm supposed to sink those. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> sometimes, but probably not 50% of the time because... Hey, DJ, you're not on the tour. That's right. 50%. And again, that's why I say it's about expectations. The other thing that he said in one of the very first parts of the uh, the, course I took this week is he said, stop trying to make birdies. And I was like, what? Stop trying to make birdies. And there's this whole section on when you are trying too hard to sink putts your likelihood so the answer to why what am i supposed to do if i'm not trying to make birdies you're trying to make putts go get around the hole somehow some way from whatever 
distance you're putting from. And if they go in, great. What you want to do is give yourself, you know, you talk about capture and speed. He said, basically, you know, we often talk about speed versus line. Line is immaterial. It's about the speed. And he's got all these drills about getting the speed correct is so much more important than what your start line is and et cetera, et cetera. But the point is, a lot of times we are trying too hard to make these putts and we're giving ourselves stress on the putts coming back. And that's what leads to the scores going higher. You know, and I I, again, I relate to a lot of it because if you're 20 feet from the hole, you should be trying to leave the putt short. Again, there's a bunch of data that says, oh, you're supposed to hit it 17 inches by. Okay, but on the times you don't and you hit it 36 and 45 inches past, as he said, yeah, you're going to, he said it's a drag if you have a couple of putts that are right in the jaws, you're one or two inches short versus five feet by. He said the difference is you're going to make a lot of those two inches <laughs> and, uh, and you're... Ah! He says, you're likely going to make a lot of one and two inch putts, but if you're four feet by, again, statistically, on the PGA Tour, they only sink 85% of four footers. So what's you and I, what a couple of schmoes like you and I going to do? Again. Yeah. The, the one thing I wanted to ask about is, um, now remember Rotella, um, he being like the high priest of this whole performance psychology thing. Um, taking issue with the whole piece around trying to hit within, you got a lag putt, you're going to get within a three foot circle. And he didn't like that. He said that, no, you should be trying to make the putt. To me, I don't want to get too literal about this, but I think you're trying to, trying to make the putt, but you're not like all invested of, please, I need to make a birdie now to stem the bleeding mm-hmm. or whatever. To me, there's a healthy, like, like I'm, I'm trying to make this putt, but I'm not, I'm not trying to gas it. I'm not going to give it a little extra whatever. You, no, I know, you know I know what, what you mean. And, and I've, I've been thinking a lot about this this week because I'm like, okay, well, am I not supposed to try and make it? What he's trying to say is, and this is, again, it's, his whole thing is based on stats. It's not his opinion. He has got, you know, with, with the, because of strokes gained on the PGA Tour and the statistics, he knows how many putts from 20 feet, 30 feet, 8 feet, 10 feet, if you leave them a little bit short versus leaving them by. He has uh, worked with this kid, Aaron Wise, and he had in one of the videos, he's got Aaron hitting 20 putts from about 20 feet. And then he shows you statistically the ones that went by versus the ones that were short. And he talks about shifting your dispersion or your patterns. And I know from myself, like the way he puts it is you want, yes, you want the putt to miss um, ultimately, you know, at a pace of about if it misses, it goes by 16 or 17 inches. But what I thought that was, and this could, this could be, maybe others felt like this too. I always putted with the idea that I was going to, you know, if I was going to miss, it was going to go by the hole. But as he said, the, you want to putt so that it's dying as it gets to the hole. And then, and then it goes by 16 or 17 inches, but it's slowing down. Whereas a lot of my three putts, and maybe others too, my ball is still accelerating at the hole. It isn't slowing down until after the hole, which is why sometimes I miss it three and four and five feet. And it was like a, a light bulb for me. 
Because I have, you know, in terms of my quest for scratch, I thought I needed to make six birdies around. But I th- I, I shot, uh, last weekend I shot 70, or last week I shot 74 with a couple of three putts, but I made four birdies, so it kind of offset it. But then the next mm-hmm. day I shot 78 and I three putted four times. No birdies that day. And, and a lot of my three putts are un, because I had this idea that leaving it short was the worst thing you could do. And he says in this seminar, leave, learn to leave them short. Because when you do, yes, they didn't get to the, he shows a shot, he shows Aaron Wise's, you know, shots around the hole. He said, all these ones at three, four and five feet, most of us, those are tough comebackers. Yeah, it's a drag that the ones that were a foot or two short didn't quite get there. But guess what? You know, soft pars and soft bogeys don't kill you. Yeah, I'm struggling a little bit with the idea of learn to leave it short. Um, I think what he's... uh, Could I sort of reframe that as uh, let's make a nice putt. (laughs) And if it happens to go in, great. Yeah, well, I watched last night, and you would be surprised, once you know what to look for, how many of their putts, especially putts of length, they are leaving just short. Or That's what I'm thinking Or about. the putts that- are slowing. They're really slow at the hole. Because I got to tell you, Timmer, that was a, a huge revelation for me in terms of how I'm trying to putt these. Because I am giving it way too much on a... Because, on a, I listen, the other day I played... You know, I three putted from 18 feet. Like it wasn't that tough a putt. Yeah. The problem is I made a good putt. Like the ball came off my putter nicely, but it was an uphill. So I gave it a little extra and I had a four footer curling coming down the hill and missed it. I would have been so much better off than to just, you know, cozy it up somehow. And if it went in great, if not, tap it in and go on. Because those are strokes that all of us at every level can mitigate. Yeah, the, 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 what a fascinating topic this is. I love this. And um, I want to go deeper on this because I started doing a um, an on, I've been in, engaged by a financial ma- management company to do uh, online putting webinars. And I love doing them because you and I have talked about the uh, whole um, retinal after image yeah, yeah, thing and that. using our eyes and, and, and quiet eyes. And I've, I've called it this quiet mind thing. And um, it's really been fun. And what I'm connecting that to is, so the last couple of summers, I've putted the best I have in my whole life. And there's, I'm not really, when, when I'm looking at a putt, I'm not thinking whether it's uphill or downhill. I'm just looking at the putt and I let my body react to it. And What's interesting is that most of them on longer putts are coming up just a little bit short. Yeah. It's just it's just the ball is just coming up there and it just and so if I leave a you know a anywhere from a twenty five footer to and you know onward, they leave just a little bit short for tapping, that's great. Yeah. As opposed to I gotta make this or don't leave it short so people don't say hey alice (laughs) no i know any of that nonsense you know when you've got a 40 foot like once you get past 30 feet or 33 feet i think it is on the pga tour 
where you're where you're as likely to sink it as you are to three putt it. There's a point. There's an inflection point where it starts to go the other way. So for us amateurs, you know, probably it's at the 25 foot or the 22 foot. It's my point is, you know, the ones that I three putt. You know, you're going to three putt a 50 foot putt most of the time. If you get it with it, that's another thing. You know, I've got a 50 footer and I'm thinking, oh, I got to cozy it right up there. The facts is, the facts is, the facts are at 40, 50 and 60 feet. If you get it within five or six or seven feet, you know, you've done your best, right? Yeah. And that, that's great stuff. And and so what I would say to our listeners, if you're, if you're um, interested in this stuff, uh, decade is great, a little expensive. Yeah, it is. But but I think a great place to start would be to get the uh, Mark Brody book, uh, Every Shot Counts. Yeah. Because all those uh, stats that that Howard you've been saying about that's right in the in that book. All those stats, like the um, you know PGA Tour players from eight feet, they make fifty percent. Yeah. And, and and when people when you're able to read that. It gives you a sense of, oh, maybe I'm not as awful as I thought. Well, and that's why I I, I I, I, um, gave it the title Expectations because, you know, I played the other day and and I was just kind of thinking about this and, and sort of maneuvering my way around the golf course. I did not hit it very well. And I, ha- I had an okay score, but I, I was really thinking about, because one of the assignments in the course was just go out and notice, you know, start looking around the size of the landing areas on your golf course. Because as I say, you know, we're all so focused with, you know, that sliver of fairway, you know, one of the toughest holes in the, in the country is number 10 at Blue Springs, you know, <laughs> and it is, it just is a top, I, I told you last time I played a little tournament there at the end of the season and I hit three wood off the tee and I was so excited that I hit the fairway. I wanted to take a picture of myself and send it to you. I was just, but, but like there's a hole that, and again, back to Brody's book and strokes gain, which Fawcett is a, you know, he loves that guy. But if you make a five on that hole, you've lost no strokes gained to the rest of the schmoes you play with. Absolutely. That's, that's so cool. Um, so that is, speaks to to another thing you can do for yourself is to create a personal par on on blue on blue springs number 10 that's a personal par of five for me and the same with number eight because it's just a really very difficult difficult hole. hole exactly so but that's such an interesting way that you you spun it and that's why you're a tournament player is you're giving up no strokes to the field if you make a five on either of those holes so that's a great thing folks is is you make the, the the par on the card really in some ways is kind of arbitrary i, I love it that really it really doesn't matter that whether you made a four on hole number eight or on your golf course it's like what does it add up at the end a hundred percent and and i would say that yeah it's important if you want to play tournament golf but i would say if you're playing and again i those are two great examples eight at blue springs is a, a very difficult hole and and as i've mentioned 10 is a tough hole but it's not just because because in the decade system you could put in your five on that hole and it would tell you how that would compare to the you know a, a tour player and and I will, t- you know, and what and the, you know, I'm just finished by saying the concept of losing a stroke to par, and I love that word you use, is such an arbitrary mental 
thing because you think, oh shit, I've made a bogey. Now I'm one over. Really, you haven't made a bogey. What you've probably made is a is you've lost a half. You maybe let's just say for the sake of this conversation, it really is only a half shot. Because most people, the average player on Blue Springs today isn't making four. If you've made five, you're probably, you know, you've probably lost no strokes gained. But if you make a six, now you've lost like, so let's say you make a five and it's a 0.5 um, loss. But if you make a six, it's a 1.5. If you make a seven, it's a 2.5. So yeah. the point of this discussion is to make bogey and, and, and give yourself a thumbs up. Well, you know what? I was making, uh, I played yesterday. <laughs> I got to the golf course. Uh, the uh, the temperature on my car said five. <laughs> <laughs> and it was and it was a bit windy. And, oh, there was rain in the forecast. Well, I was making some bogeys. And then it was like, okay, it's now it's probably about four degrees. <laughs> the ball is going through the, through the rain. Uh, my, I can't feel my hands. <laughs> you know? But hey, you know what? Before I want to, I, I love that this. though. What's the par in that hole? I can't feel my fingers. That's the par. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I want to ask, in context of what we're talking about, what did you think when Hideki, I think, had a four-stroke lead on 15 yeah. on Sunday, and he pulls out the, the four iron? Uh, I was thinking, okay, uh, if I'm your caddy, uh, what's the, sh you know, and Hideki asked me, what's the shot here? Wedge. Yeah. Oh, really? Seriously, what's the shot here? Wedge. I I, I just thought, um, okay, the guy's, the guy is this close to winning his first major. Oh, indeed, and winning it for his country. Oh, yeah, mind-blowing. All this stuff. Uh, the adrenaline of being there and... I'm not sure if he pulled it a bit or, or, or he just like super nuked it under the circumstances. I, I would have thought you hit wedge and, mm -hmm. and you know, and some people will argue 15 is still hard to hit. No, I, but I, I would hand, agree with you. What do you think? Well, I, I, I was going to tell you in the, in the sort of nerd, you know, the decade geek world that I'm part of, uh, everyone said that they said, you know, the third shot, when you lay up there is no bargain, but it's easier than the shot you're going to have to the green from the back of that. You know, you, you know, you could have hit wedge, wedge to the fat part of the green because I will, I will say this though. I thought it was, you know, very, very smart of him to, I don't think people realize he laid up on that chip. He did. Exactly. That's what uh, Trevor Elliman was yeah, saying. Yeah, he, he laid up and that was a smart yep. thing to do. Let's talk. <laughs> laid up wedge. Uh, laid up chip shot. You don't yep. hear that every day. <laughs> well, because the prop, the only way he could lose it is if that ball hit the green. If it hit the green and with any momentum, it's in the water again. Now he's lost it. Where I would just like to finish is the shot that everyone's been discussing is and, uh, Xander Shoffley. You see, there's a perfect yep. example of you know too aggressive a target too aggressive a target that has no room for any error and they, maybe he said he hit it well there's been you know some of the discussion was we well, couldn't hit it that well but basically exactly. if you're aiming aggressively and a bit of wind comes up or you are a, a millimeter off the sweet spot it doesn't quite fly and if he had been a little less aggressive in his target I mean, it, you know, he could have put some pressure on, but that was, to me, I thought that was a very, 
Like that was a big mistake for a professional to make. I thought the same thing. And, and who knows? I mean, what a situation to be in. Shoffley said he flushed it. Yeah. And, you know, I, 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 so he goes, no, nah, he, he hit that fat, you know, or, or whatever. But, um, yeah, I, I was really surprised by that because that Sunday pin placement is not a hard one. No, That's one of the easier ones Absolutely. at Augusta because, you know, you get hole-in-ones and stuff. It's so exciting. That's why they have it there. Uh, and they, they they like birdies. On the well, yeah, and, and that's, a great, that's a great point. They put it there for a reason to give that on. This sort of the last opportunity, if you're in contention, to sneak one in there. And it would have been, a, who knows, if he had not made six. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, try and make four. He'd, he would have you know, put some pressure on him. Yeah, that, that was, you know, and some, I don't know, on another note, I don't know. I, I had a couple of people say, well, that wasn't a very interesting Masters. I said, well, I don't know what you watched. I was I was rooting hard for Matsuyama. He's just such a decent guy. Yeah. And, you know, that whole thing about winning for your country, uh, we went through that with Mike Weir uh, <laughs> 2003. Oh, yeah. So, and I loved, I just loved that bit when his caddy, uh, when he took the the uh, flag off the stick and then he just bowed to the hole. No, I know. That was beautiful. I just thought that was amazing. You know, that sort of sums up what the game is. Uh, I think for a lot of us, you know, him just taking his hat off and bowing slightly and, you know, you want to talk about a world of gratitude to be where you are. I just, what a, what a, a moment. And, 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 you know, again, one of those things you, for years, they'll be showing the, the tiger chip on 16 and the, you know, Phil jumping up or whatever. They'll be showing that image for years, that image of just that slight moment of grace, you know? Yeah, it was beautiful. And I think, you know, what a nice reminder, I think, at the beginning of, of the golf season for, for for a lot of our listeners who are in uh, Canada and the Northeast, at least. Uh, yeah, it's a blessing to be able to play, particularly during a pandemic. Mm, so, yeah. so everyone, okay, when you're done your round, folks, go home, don't hang around in the parking lot, drink beer. Um, I don't know about you know, that. There's uh, some really... Yeah, we're in some tough times here, man. Uh, I've heard some rumors. I don't want to be uh, finish the show in a bummer, but I've heard some rumors that we may not be. They may actually uh, have to make a decision about golf courses. Yeah, well, um, so far we've been good, but, you know, I, I, I will admit... Um, so it was, it was last week. I think they announced the lockdown. Yeah, we're and in the so, second week of the lockdown, yeah. Yeah, so there's all this messaging. Hey, folks, stay at home for the sake of humanity. Uh, stay safe. Uh, except if you have a tea time. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's a strange thing. It's like, stay at home but go or go golfing. Those are your two choices. Uh, thank you to uh, singing uh, coach Laura Bailey. Thanks to uh, JW Apparel. And thanks to TaylorMade Golf. Experience the drives every golfer wants to hit and no golfer wants to follow with the all-new Sim 2 driver only from TaylorMade, TaylorMadeGolf.ca, O'ConnorGolf.ca, HumbleAndFredRadio.com, and we'll see you next week. Check out Guitar George. He knows all the cards.